0: Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Erica and I will be talking all about interacting with animal spirits. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On but this start podcast, this we show, talk about we witchcraft as a lifestyle what? and discover oh, oh, how to merge you, magic you into, talking into your daily time? life.
1: No? Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, okay. astrology,
0: Crystals, herbs, and no more. As you develop your personal, your personal brand, of magic. What happened? my brain is the having like a glitch or something. <laughs> Here we he hosts, The Mystic, Mystic Sisters, Sisters. Okay,
1: Erica and Maggie. In this segment of the show, we choose in this segment of the show we choose a tarot card for the week, and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. For this episode, we chose the Eight of Wands. The theme of this card is opportunity. When you look at the 8 of wands there's not much to go off of because there are no humans pictured in this card so it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of one of the characters but that doesn't mean that there are no clues basically this card shows the 8 wands at an angle in front of a scenic landscape it reminds me of the hero's journey and this is the road home portion you're so close to being back after this amazing transformative adventure and this card is that first glimpse of home after being away for a while and the feeling of calm and safety and relief.
0: And along with that, the return home from the hero's journey is usually also about what you are bringing with you, the elixir. In this image, there's a selection of magic ones that you can bring home with you. And actually, they're sort of blocking the path if you look at the writer waite smith version of this card. So you can't really proceed forward without making a final decision You want to make it quickly because you're so tired from this journey and you just want to go home. So this card is about moving quickly and not really worrying about making a right or wrong choice because this is saying, look, whatever you're facing right now, just do something, move past this so that you can get back to the good stuff. So do you have a story about the eight of wands, Erica?
1: Yeah, my first thought is about we used to travel from Colorado to Oklahoma a lot as kids. To go to various Christmas family reunion type things. And I remember that whenever when we were driving back west from the plains of Oklahoma and Kansas, that Maggie and I used to have a game/slash competition of who could see the Rocky Mountains first. And so this card is reminding me of that first like time, like, uh, like we're almost home and the mountains were that, that glimpse of we're in Colorado. We are getting really close to where home is at the base of the mountains. And we're on that last leg of the journey. And so even into my adult life, I still have those very visual cues of you're almost home. Even just driving home from work, I have like a, oh, I'm here. I'm almost home.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I I also remember, along with that story, daddy talking because he was about, he really liked, he likes Lewis and Clark and how they saw the Rocky Mountains from afar. And at that time, they couldn't um, travel as fast as we could in a car. So it took them like months to get from, oh, look at those mountains. To like actually being at the mountains. <laughs> yep. But it goes a lot faster when you're in a car. What about you, Maggie? What's your story? My story is similar, but different. I guess that makes sense since it's about the same card. But I always think about when I'm hiking, I get kind of in a trance when I'm hiking where I like forget everything about the hike. Um and I think it's because I look at the ground a lot and I look at the plants because I'm trying to identify them. But I always very clearly remember like the first part of the hike and then when I get back to that it's like my legs give up <laughs> because they're like, "Oh, you're almost back." And so my legs are like, "Okay, we don't have to work anymore." But I get that feeling of like, "We're so close to being back. You just have to keep walking for a little bit further. You have to, you know, make this decision to push on and then you get to rest and be back in the comfy car, and then you get to go get ice cream, and then you get to go home. So (laughs) should we switch to our main topic for the week? Sounds good. As we mentioned at
1: the beginning, today we're going to share with you a lot of information about animal spirits. Before we get started, we wanted to make a public service announcement about the term spirit animal. Yes, most cultures have a concept of animal spirits. In fact, I can't think of a culture that doesn't have some form of receiving guidance from animals. You can find tales of shape-shifting into an am- animal. You can um, you find things about being possessed by the spirit of an animal, interpretation of animal dreams, and attitudes about hunting and eating animals. The roots of animal guides are deep in ancient religions because there isn't a culture on this planet that doesn't come from a complex, deep-rooted relationship with the animals and nature. There are the Chinese zodiac animals. There are animal familiars of the Greek muses. Uh, even Jesus is known as the lamb. It goes back to ancient African stories of the shaman called M- Mantis and the Eastern shamanic reli- religions and Celtic religions.
0: Yes, yeah, so the concept of having this connection To an animal spirit is universal because humans have a connection to the natural world in all ancient cultures because we lived in nature. Um, However, the phrase spirit animal is considered cultural appropriation, and we will talk about what that means next week. But while the words are English, spirit animal are English words, the term refers to deep and sacred traditions for many Native Americans. And because of colonization and centuries of Native American cultural oppression, many of the original terms for rituals and important spiritual aspects of their culture have been lost. So to reclaim their traditions, they also claim the English words that are used to describe them. So there are alternatives to this term. It's very easy to change our vocabulary to as a form of respect. So when you feel that you have a soul connection to a specific animal, or you feel like you are being visited by a specific animal frequently, or if you feel like when you look at an animal, you just want to say same, then you can use another term like animal teacher, patronus, demon, familiar, inner animal, or animal helper instead.
1: So I found this recently, and I think it's very fun. There's another term called that's a soul animal, which is a Finnish concept in which a creature is so like you that you feel like you share a soul. Since there's no longer a ritual or religious use for this concept, it's not appropriative to use that term. So if you see an ant struggling desperately to move a crumb that is at least 40 times bigger than itself, and you think, same that ant in that moment is your sole animal. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like that it's, a, um it's a cultural concept that has, that has no meaning anymore for, and so it's, it's like, we can share this because we don't even know where it came from for our own culture anymore. And so we want this to be part of the world culture And so it's that cultural sharing piece that I think gets lost sometimes in the discussion about appropriation.
0: Yeah. And some of those other terms I mentioned, like Patronus and daemon or demon, however you say that, they come from like Patronus is from Harry Potter and the daemon is from uh, the golden compass or the dark materials. And we're going to talk about some of the, um, the concept of familiar later on in this episode, So whatever you feel comfortable using, whether you want to say soul animal or any of these other ideas, it's so easy to just change our language when we want to talk about having a connection to an animal. But first, let's take a break to talk to our
1: sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Clothes. And so I will start by telling you about some of the medicinal properties and then Maggie will share the magical ones. Clove is a staple of wintertime recipes. It is popular in wintertime recipes because it is a very warming herb. And I will start off by saying that if you're using any sort of clove essential oil to never ingest it and to always mix it with some sort of carrier oil like coconut or almond or avocado or anything because it can burn you and it will burn you. I just heard about one of my friends was using some clove oil to help with it with tooth pain, which is very smart, but she did not mix it with any sort of carrier oil and it ended up burning her gums pretty badly. So, please be cautious. It is very very hot. <laughs> which is why we love to have it in all of our winter recipes. It's very potent. And so you'll notice that any recipe that calls for it has it in a very small amount. So you might, in a pumpkin pie, have like half a teaspoon of ginger and a whole teaspoon of cinnamon, but only a quarter teaspoon of clove. So it's very pungent, very powerful, and its Latin name actually speaks to this. It's syzygium aromaticum, so Aromatic is right there in its name. It's very, very potent. So, I'm um, sure with um, medicinal uses, and it probably with the magical uses as well, that you a little goes a long way, and it's going to add some some potency to your spells. So how do you use clove? Like I mentioned, you can use clove essential oil and mixed into some sort of cream or oil. If you rub it around your belly button or abdomen, it can help to warm the digestive organs. It is really good for digestive. So you can put clove into any sort of food, and it's going to help stimulate appetite and kindle the digestive fire, as it were. It's also really, really good for colds and flus, partly because of its heat that it has. You can put it into some hot water and breathe it as a steam with some other herbs and oils that we've talked about before for cold and flu, such as peppermint or ginger or eucalyptus. Any of those will help to clear up any of those cold and flu symptoms. As I mentioned, it's great for the teeth. Any kind of natural toothpaste will have clove in it. It's good for enamel, I believe, is why it's in there. Um, And then it also can help relieve tooth pain. Part of the reason why it's so good for colds and flus is that it helps with inflammation. So it's going to help with any sort of inflammation throughout your body, which is also why it's good for digestion. So lung inflammation, joint inflammation, bowel and gut inflammation, it's great for any of that. And then it's also an aphrodisiac. So you know, use that to help stimulate those sexual activities that you're getting into. But I will caution again that pregnant and breastfeeding women and anybody with a bleeding disorder should avoid any sort of medicinal amounts. And you should stop taking any clove two weeks before surgery. It's a blood mover. It's you know, it's that hot, it's hot, 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 and it moves things around and it messes with all sorts of stuff. So just be cautious and use wisely, but it's delicious and we love it. <laughs> we do love it. Oh, one last thing. Sorry. <laughs> I use clove in uh, mixed with cinnamon essential oils on just a little cotton ball and you can put it over your door jams and that discourages bugs and in particular ants from trying to come inside your house because it smells so strongly that their poor little ant antenna get confused and they're like I don't know where I am I can't figure it out
0: poor (laughs) ants I know but (laughs) they're not supposed to be in your house so (laughs) yeah I have a ant spray that has peppermint in it and my cockroach spray has cloves and cinnamon in it Mm -hmm. I bet it works for ants too yep I just spray the heck out of any cockroaches I see with it (laughs) 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 I'm vegan except for for cockroaches Um. All right, so the magical uses of cloves, this herb corresponds with active energy, Jupiter, fire, and Sagittarius. It is a very hot herb, and it can be used to correspond with fire. The main magical uses are banishing, healing, love, money, and protection. So interestingly, the word clove originates from the old French word clau. I don't know if I said that right. And the Latin word clavis which means nail, and this is likely because of the shape of a clove, which resembles a nail. So for that reason, cloves are a wonderful protection herb because nails are thought to be a protective symbol. So you can add whole cloves to a charm bag and carry that with you for protection. You can also make beads out of cloves to wear as a necklace or to hang in doorways and to protect your home. Cloves can also be burned, and this is a very powerful banishing spell which uh, we talked about in the previous episode sage being a very mild cleansing herb or purifying herb cloves are a very powerful cleansing herb so they will get rid of everything at the same time burning cloves can attract wealth and prosperity into your home so just setting the intention beforehand is how you determine what is going to happen And the reason that cloves are associated with wealth and prosperity is because it was a very expensive herb to purchase for many people. There's actually been wars fought over cloves. And there was even a point where Dutch people set fire to all of the cloves on an island in order to have complete control over the crops. So that has led to this association with this being a prized commodity that people really want to have. And there is also this tradition that comes from uh, the beginning of the 18th century where people would poke clo- cloves into an orange. And you've probably seen this or done this yourself as a Christmas or Yule decoration. The people who would be able to afford to make a decoration out of le- legitimate food were the wealthy people. So, again, that's that association with wealth and abundance, having enough food to not only eat, but also to use as a decoration. And for this lovely air freshener is basically what it became.
1: I had a question about the pomander because it, it I was thinking of it when you were talking about it being a powerful protection herb. Were they also used, I, I think I'm remembering this correctly, as a protection against plague? Or it was either that or it was
0: to mask the smell of death and body odor. I think it could be both. This says that pomanders were balls made from different perfumes that were worn or carried in a vase for protection against infection and bad smells. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So this practice of making pomanders by sticking cloves into an orange is for protecting against... Smell and death. <laughs> the two things. <laughs> so, and then along this lines of this being a really hot herb, one really important use for cloves in my practice has been to make what's called fire oil. And this is an oil that is so hot that it basically acts like fire in the cases where you can't light a fire. So, for example, the first time I did this was when I was living in a dorm and I couldn't light fires. So I made this oil using cloves and garlic and ginger and cayenne pepper, like all of these really hot herbs and mixing it into an oil, heating it up and then storing it. And it will burn you. (laughs) I know from personal (laughs) experience that it will burn you. And so in that way, it can be a representation of fire, the fire element. You can use it to, um, you know, burn paper. It won't it won't burn the paper in the same way that fire would burn paper, but you can like visualize it in that way uh, because it is such a hot oil. So those are the uses of cloves in magic. So let's get back to our main topic. Another concept when it comes to the spirits of animals is this idea of familiars.
1: So this is probably the most common type of animal guides in relation to witches and Their kind of stereotypes. It is the familiar pop culture, such as the nineties TV show *Sabrina the Teenage Witch*, represents the familiar as a physical animal that helps the witch in some way. And Salem is just the best ever. (laughs) And the reason that I think Salem is such a good representation of this is that he's he's a little sassy, so it's like it's this idea that the this that familiar is there to guide you, but he's not going to make it easy for you. Like you, you still have to do some of the work on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so often, the witch also has some control over this animal or can communicate with them. But this is a fairly new interpretation of the familiar.
0: Yeah, exactly. The more traditional interpretation of a familiar is a spirit, so not a physical being, but a spirit. And this being also will help the witch provide companionship, teach lessons, and encourage their personal growth. And I think the newer version of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, on Netflix did a really good job of representing the spirit as a familiar. Um, so this was a shape shapes. Bleh, shape-shifting. Sharp, sharp, sharp. As a spirit that shapeshifts into a cat. And the cat is still named Salem. So there is that connection between these two depictions of Sabrina, where one is showing more of the, um, this is a physical being who is my familiar, and then the traditional representation of a spirit that can, you know, possess a cat or become a cat. So another version of this would be
1: the demons in the Dark Materials book. Um, You know, there's taboos associated with it that another person cannot touch your demon. The HBO show kind of shows that the familiar is or the demon is only talking to their human and is not does not communicate verbally with other humans. They may have a nonverbal like urgency, like my human is in trouble, come with me, like a lassie. (laughs) But generally that demon, familiar or whatever, only communicates with their human. Additionally, A familiar is not like other spirits that you encounter in the spirit realm that are distinctly different entities than you. A familiar in a traditional context is a being that shares your soul, your spirit, or whatever word you prefer to use, and you work independently from each other, but you exist as part of a single soul, again, as demonstrated as in the demons in his dark materials.
0: Yeah, I think that's like very much more clear in that depiction of this idea of a familiar is because they are so connected and it's uh, the demon is something that is with the human from birth and then it settles as that as the human grows and figures out who they are the demon will settle into a form and so that's that like personal development aspect of the familiar and if you would like to meet your familiar you can Most often, witches find them while astral traveling or meditating, but you can also meet them in your dreams or even in waking life. And all you have to do is set the intention that you would like to meet your familiar and they will likely show up for you. Be careful that you are very clear about this invitation.
1: You don't want to attract a random spirit that's masquerading as your familiar. And you will know when you encounter your familiar because you share a soul. So it will feel like
0: being reunited with your closest friend after years apart. And then once you've met that familiar, you can work together on anything that you want. And just remembering that this is an independent being and they are not your slave to just tell what to do. You work together on whatever tasks that you want. Um, they will help you if you ask them and if you let them. So you can ask them to guide you toward a lesson that you need to learn. You can ask them for help with something specific. So you can kind of give them the reins to take you where they think you need to go or you can say, hey, this is where I want to go. Will you help me get there? And then just communicate them in whatever method feels comfortable to you through journaling, meditation, astral travel, or dream work. I haven't met my familiar. I know that I have one. I know that if I wanted to be one, I
1: could, but I'm more of the idea that it changes. I'm like an unsettled demon. And like sometimes my soul animal is an owl and sometimes it's an otter. Most of the times it's an otter. But it, you know, like, I just, I enjoy the idea that I can relate to the qualities of an animal in the moment.
0: Which I think leads to the next topic, which is more about, like, the animal symbolism and finding a representation of that animal in yourself and it showing up to you for some sort of lesson or reason. So we'll talk about that, what the symbolism of what animals represent. And I am asked all the time about this. This is one of the most common questions I get about what what it means if you see a specific animal. And it really depends. For example, if I asked Erica, what does it mean that I keep seeing cats? She would likely say it means that you went to the cat cafe and adopted two cats and now they live with you. And there was another sort of tongue-in-cheek response that someone recently commented on one of my Instagram posts. What does it mean if I keep seeing fruit flies? It means your bananas are overripe, okay? (laughs) So, So sometimes, you know, seeing an animal, it doesn't have this deep spiritual meaning. You're seeing the animal because it also lives in the world that you live in. But
1: there are times where it might be odd to see a certain creature, Um, If you're seeing the same type of animal in a variety of contexts, like in a commercial and then again as a different logo for a different product, Um, and then on a card that someone sent you, there might be some meaning to be made. And when it comes to interpreting animal symbolism, I think about that animal's behavior. So, for example, koalas like to sleep a lot. So maybe your saying quo cool is everywhere because it's a sign to take a rest or go get high. <laughs> <laughs> or elephants are family focused and matriarchal. So maybe you need to call your mom or your grandma or your daughter or your granddaughter just to check in.
0: Yeah. So sometimes there is, you know, some sort of meaning and sometimes it's just regular based on what's happening in your life. And I think that's really key when it comes to most things with signs and symbols is to not get too hung up on like, this has to have some sort of meaning, um, you know, that sometimes it's just a, sometimes it's just a blue jay and sometimes it's a blue jay that's telling you, you need to be more playful. So,
1: yeah. And so like, uh, after our grandma died, uh, we learned about the symbolism of robins showing up at, in, in death and representative of spiritual messengers, And my mom, our mom started seeing Robins a lot soon after our grandmother's death. And that was comforting to her to, to know that Anna was close and nearby and talking to her. And also at the same time, she died in February. And so she started seeing them as spring was coming around. And so, you know, you're going to see more Robins doing Robin spring type things. So you know, take what meaning you need to get from the animals that you're seeing and then also recognize where the, what time of day, year, whatever is happening and why they more, might be more prolific.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of my friend Kristen after her grandmother and her uncle, they passed away pretty close together. And um, there was one day where she was feeling sad about it and she saw, she. I think she specifically asked to see a coyote um because she felt like that was something that she needed to see and then like om- like 5 minutes later there was three coyotes that ran through the yard behind her she lives in california so of course there are coyotes there but the but there was meaning in it for her because it was something she specifically asked for and it had this connection with her uncle and her grandpa and her grandma and it was immediate it, yes, you know like, exactly it- if she if she had asked
1: for it, you know, on Monday, and then they show up on Saturday, there's a length of time there that it's it's not as meaningful. But if it's within like that same day, then absolutely, I would say that that's a message from somebody.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, she and she, I think she was on the phone with someone and talking about it. Like it would be so cool if a coyote came by right now, and then it did. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. The other thing too is. About seeing it in a variety of contexts.
1: Otters are one of my animal spirits, and many, many people know it. And so I am constantly shared memes and pictures and videos, and all of my birthday cards have otters on them. And when we moved into our new house, Miles and Kim got me an otter keychain. And that doesn't mean that my animal spirit is showing up. It means that people know that that's something that
0: I like. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Once people find out that you like something, then <laughs> you're going to get it all the time. <laughs> um, but do you remember when we were tubing here in Florida and we there there's otters in the water?
1: Yes, that was amazing. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> they were really far away, so we didn't get to see them. We could just kind of see their head bobbing up over the surface of the water.
0: Yeah, but they were there. Yeah, I was actually kind of afraid because otters are really territorial and they will scratch your face off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, we got to get out of (laughs) here. I mean,
1: what's their family? They are part of the Mustelidae family. So it's otters and badgers and
0: um ferrets. ferrets and badgers me. did you say badgers I did say badgers what's the because honey badger don't care skunks no
1: but they're they are very they're very um angry animals they're very joyful but they're also very angry <laughs> they love to play anyway yeah they're, they they have Raccoons. boundaries they set they boundaries
0: and they, they do they them. set boundaries that's a good way of putting it And they say, you crossed my boundary, and I don't want you to. (laughs)
1: Yep. So this season, we are celebrating goddesses from around the world. And each goddess has a theme for us to think about and create some sort of ritual or spell or meditation to invite into our week's. And so I am choosing from my Legendary Ladies Goddess deck created by Ann Shen. And this week we pulled Ocean, and it's spelled O-S-H-U-N. And she is a Yoruban goddess, and her theme is forgiveness. So you've been hurt, and Ocean is here to help soothe and nurture your heart so you can forgive. Forgiveness is the gift we give ourselves, so letting the loving, let the loving goddess Ocean guide you through the pain. For love for yourself will free you from agony. So how will you invite forgiveness into your life this week?
0: I'm trying to think of who would even need forgiveness. I don't feel like I've been wronged recently so I'm not sure who to forgive. (sighs) Maybe I'll maybe I can expand too because I'm kind of thinking about like with our book the humankind book which I would uh, recommend to people who are listening. It's a good book that really changes the paradigm (laughs) the way that you view the world but What's been really hard for me while reading this book is reconciling how humans can be ultimately good and kind when there's so much evidence of humans not being good and kind. And obviously a lot of that is due to circumstances and like the way power can corrupt and all of that is covered in the book. But it's still been really hard for me to try to figure out how this book can really be, you know, accurate. When I don't see evidence of it. And so I think that's what I want to do with this theme, inviting in ways to help me see that better, help me forgive people for being bad people in order to not let it like take up space in my heart anymore. Like forgiving people for being corrupt, but without just like giving them a pass. How do you forgive somebody without just like? Well, I think you
1: can because forgiveness is about.
0: Yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not giving them a pass for being bad and corrupt and taking advantage of their positions of power, but it does give me more space to focus on other things um, that could be more beneficial, I guess.
1: For me, I have a lot of anger toward my ex still. Forgiveness is about the self and healing self. And I'm thinking about that song by the Dixie Chicks. Now, the chicks um not ready to make nice and the first two lines are forgive sounds good forget i'm not sure i could and that's kind of where i am with my ex i can forgive because it heals me but i'm not going to forget everything that she did because i have to protect myself still and i have to heal myself if i were to forget everything then it would allow her back in to hurt again
0: or somebody uh, else, because you want to have that lesson of right. this when someone treats me this way, it doesn't exactly. matter. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that saying, uh, saying of forgive
1: and forget, I think it should be, like, we should take off that forget part, because yeah. we need to remember, and that kind of relates to what you were saying. We need to remember our history. We can't forget our history, but we can forgive it, because that's healing for ourselves.
0: Right. The forgetting is the piece that's letting them off or letting someone else who's like them off the hook. Mm -hmm. But the forgiving is about me or you or, you know, (laughs) healing yourself. Exactly. I like that. And if you would like to tell us about how you will invite forgiveness into your week, then go to witchwanderer.com and you can answer this question as well. Now, next week, we will be talking about the Nine of Wands in the first segment of the show. And the Nine of Wands is about being prepared, being ready for whatever comes your way. In some ways, it's about being defensive, showing your strength, and being aware. It's those feelings of being vulnerable and being cautious to threats of that vulnerability and defending yourself just in case something bad is going to happen. So we'll be exploring this and other concepts of the Nine of Wands when we come back next week. And if you would like to t- share with us your story of the Nine of Wands, then send us a voicemail at listen at com.
1: You can find out more about this episode by going to com slash blog slash zero four seven.
0: Join us next week when we talk about cultural exploration. Make sure that you are subscribed to this show so that you're notified about each new episode. And to help other witches find this show, leave us a five star review wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: You can also find us on Instagram at Mumbles and Things and join us in the Mumbles Academy to chat about this episode with other witchy folk. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nope. Siz, sizzi, ciz- 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 c- y- um.